Each of us has a unique career story to tell. For some, these fly high like rocket launches. For others, they're more like the game of shoots and ladders with advances and setbacks along the way. Either way, we learn countless lessons from these experiences. And that's what we put into the spotlight here at Career Sessions Career Lessons. Join discussions featuring a variety of guests sharing their stories of ups and downs, as well as the secrets of their success and what drives them to continue moving forward. We break down the tools and resources that will help you establish your dream career and realize your professional goals. Here's your host, J.R. Lowry. Hi, I'm J.R. Lowry, and this is Career Sessions Career Lessons, which is brought to you by Pathwise.io. Pathwise is dedicated to helping you be the best professional you can be, providing a mix of career and leadership coaching, courses, content, and community. Basic membership is free, so visit Pathwise and join today. Today, my guest is Robin Waite. Robin is an author, public speaker, and business coach. He is the founder of Fearless Business, which features a 12-week accelerator program and course app which is aimed at helping coaches, consultants, and trainers scale their learning curricula. Prior to starting these two businesses, Robin ran a creative agency called The Coconut Group, which he sold in 2016. He is the author of five books, including Take Your Shot, which we'll cover in today's discussion, and he and his family live in the Cotswolds in England. Robin, welcome. Thanks for joining me today. I appreciate having the opportunity to catch up with you. It's a pleasure. Thank you for inviting me on the show. Absolutely. So you're a business coach. So describe what you do specifically and the kinds of companies that you work with. Yeah. So there's um, a distinction to be made between sort of coaching and mentoring. So I like to start with that first and then people will get a flavor for the sort of coach which that I am. There's a train of thought that coaches ask sort of meaningful questions and then draw out of the person that they're coaching all of their deepest desires and goals that are inside them. And then you've also obviously got the mentor on the other hand who who has the experience and the their client comes to the mentor and asks them questions and they kind of say, well, just do this and then that will work for you. I'm a hybrid between the two. Sometimes clients just kind of want to move a little bit faster. They want the blueprint. They want to know, stop making the mistakes. They just want to crack on. So I flip flop between coach and mentor a lot of the time. The clients, which we typically tend to work with at Fearless Business, they are small one person businesses, grassroots sort of service client businesses, normally coaches, consultants or freelancers. And occasionally I get business owners who see me doing great work with that ideal client and they say, oh, that's interesting. Do you think that would work for me? So bizarrely, I also have clients who are, they run accounting practices. I've got some clients who run dog grooming and dog training businesses and just several other sort of random businesses. But I always take it on the balance of probability. Can I help them or not with the core sort of topics that I help people with? And then we decide whether it's a good fit or not. And then to sort of round the circle in terms of kind of what I help clients with primarily, it's because they're all service client businesses, many of them fall into that trap of hourly rate charging. My job, and I, I, it might be something which we go on to discuss a little bit later on today, but um, my job is to help them package up their service into something which is based more so not on what they do and the time that it takes, but more so on the results they deliver for their clients. Help them to articulate the value around that new product which we've created. And typically what that means is we can double or triple or even more sort of increase their prices, they can effectively then not have to take on quite so many clients. They can have a much more sort of fulfilling business, which gives them a bit more time freedom so they can just take their time with delivering to those clients, but focus very heavily on results. How'd you get into this? 
I ran a marketing agency so for 12 years. So from 2004 to 2016, I was building websites, doing branding for small local businesses. We grew it to a modest sort of size. So we got, we didn't quite get to a quarter of a million revenue, but we weren't far off and had a small team of slightly dysfunctional employees. You know, it's good fun. It, it was exciting. It was, it was small. We had some great customers, but it got to a point in 2016 where I was just, um, my family started to grow. So I, right. our first baby Poppy was born in 2014 and then Soph was going to arrive in 2016. And I just had this epiphany that I was spending all of these hours at the agency and not really focusing as heavily as I would have liked to on my family. One day I just decided I was going to close the agency. Just I, We could go into that in more detail because there is a backstory to that. But I went back to my wife who's sort of eight months pregnant at this point. I'm like, Darling, I've got some good news and bad news. I decided what I'm going to do in my future. We're going to spend some more time together. That's the good news. But the bad news is I'm closing my agency on Monday. I shut it down. And then I actually got an offer. Somebody came in and wanted to buy it. So they wanted to buy some of the IP that we'd created in the business. They looked at our client base favorably and we had some good sort of recurring revenue coming through. So it was, it was a nice little business which I'd created. But so I got a good offer. And during that time, that sort of intermediary period of enjoying paternity leave with now my family of four and sort of trying to take a step back from life for a little while. Um, People got wind of the fact that I'd built and sold this agency and I got approached by several creative agencies and freelance said, oh, that's really cool. Could you teach us how to do that? And I started just informally mentoring. I didn't, I had no intention really of kind of setting up a coaching practice originally. And one day my life coach, as I was trying to figure some of this sort of, you know, my next steps in my journey, my career out, he just said, oh, have you ever heard of business coaching? You'd make a really brilliant coach. So my first instinct was like, hmm. Because I'd heard about the coaching industry, right? And there is a dark side to the coaching industry. So I was a bit hesitant. And then it's like anything, you like a new shirt, you try it on for size. So I, I became Robin Waite, the business coach for a while and tried it on and started getting some clients because they found me on. I built my my website for the coaching practice and things like that. And um, yeah, I started to get, you know, pick up more clients more frequently. Started to get speaking engagements and all sorts of things like that. And then probably about a year into it, I was like, no, no, right now I'm going to take this thing seriously. There was an evolution and, and a journey and a bit of a jolt there along the way as well, JR. I mean, apart from just managing time better, what are the common themes that the small business owners that you work with are wrestling with? Yeah. So time is always, when you're a, a one-person business, time is always against you because you, you're constantly changing hats. You're an accountant, you're a marketeer, you're a salesperson. Also, it's remarkable, right? You end up spending only 20% of the time doing the thing you love, the reason why you set up your business in the first place, right? And then 80% doing all this other stuff. You were like, hang on a minute, that's not why I did this. This isn't what I wanted. Time is a big one, but a lack of time is more of a symptom than it is necessarily the, the cause, the, the underlying problem. One of the, the most common mistakes that I see business owners in small businesses making, I touched on it earlier on, was the, the time for money trap. So they think that what they've got to do is they've got to sell hours of their time the more hours that they sell, then the more successful they are. But if you actually think about it, hourly rates and, and having to sell more hours is a bit, it's driven by ego, right? It's to put food on my table and pay my bills and my mortgage. It's not necessarily designed to deliver the best outcomes or results for clients. So, and also it limits capacity. So if you've got somebody who's charging 30 bucks an hour, say, and we only have a maximum of about 160 to 200 hours a month where we can actually earn money. So you multiply right. that out. And their earnings capacity, even if they spent those 200 hours purely on client fulfillment, the most they could earn would be $6,000. I dive straight in and I'm like, cool, what are your financial goals? Where would you love to see this business going? You know, short term, midterm, long term. And they might say, well, $10,000 would be nice. And I look at it and I go, well, you can't do that unless you're willing to 
do another 33 and a third percent of hours on top of what you're currently doing, you can't do that. So that's our first clue that hourly rates are potentially sort of the wrong model. There's also this notion as well around, like I see a lot of small business owners, especially well, big businesses as well, just constantly marketing. Like all they do is spend their days on social media and creating shorts and posting on Twitter and pushing yeah. out, pumping out all of this content. Again, it's that's a symptom. The causes because they're not their business isn't delivering to them that you know what they need. It's not delivering enough money. So they think the way to solve that is to go and get more clients. To get more clients, we've got to do more marketing. And we end up in, I call it the sales cycle of doom. So sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver, yeah. right? And then we get ill, we go on holiday and we, we stop for a week or two and then the big deep breath and then we're back to it. Sell, deliver, sell, deliver, sell, deliver. And if you think about it, if you kind of slow that down and how we slow that down is we increase our prices and we well, not just a little bit, we increase them dramatically. It's like the universe expands, right? Because now we've got a little bit, so we've got more money, a bit more time to deliver a better quality product or service to our end client, which produces better results for them, which then makes you more referable, there's more money on the back end. And so there's this virtuous cycle through having fewer clients, not more, where we're earning more money per client. So our average order value goes up and our customer lifetime value starts to increase. It's a much better, more holistic business. And it's actually a lot more fun because if we do that intentionally, we do it by design, we get nice little dopamine hits going, oh, I did that. That's how I intended it to be. It's working like how I meant it to be. When you're in that sales cycle of doom, frenetically like marketing all the time, it's very much like casting a net out and just hoping that we're going to catch some fish. And it's very frustrating. And it just burns so many business owners out. They never set out with the intention of being a marketeer and having that be their thing they do like eight hours a day. Yeah, certainly I've seen it, you know, in my own experience. I mean, you spend more time worrying about LinkedIn's algorithms, Google's algorithms, how to optimize search engine optimization, all of those things. And if you're in business, if you're a coach, that's not why you got into the business was to become an expert in how to maximize value from some tech company algorithm. Well, that's it. And also LinkedIn owns your data as well. So if they decide to change something, you're beholden to that, that, out, that particular algorithm. It doesn't matter what platform you're in. There are much smarter ways to sort of market your business. I'll leave it to you, JR, as to which direction you want to take this now, because I have a whole yeah. rant about the marketing piece that we can go through. But I want to <laughs> make sure that you keep me on track and we give value to your audience. Yeah, fair enough. I know you do part of this as a like a 12-week program, right? Is that where more of your clients tend to come in or is it more outside? And what's that 12-week program look like? So I've done something quite different to a lot of coaching programs. So the core part of the program, we do tend to deliver over the course of 12 weeks. But there's a lot of coaching programs, for example, that once their clients stop paying the money, i.e. they get to the end of a 12-week program, they kick them out. What I've discovered is that, because I used to do it that way, so it'd be 12 weeks in and out as an accelerator, um, we get great results. Like There's no doubt about it. But one of the values that I hold really core, especially in growing something like a coaching practice, is community, the sense of community. And I discovered, when did I make the, I'm trying to think when I made the change, it was around about lockdown time. I discovered that with clients kind of coming in and out all of the time doing a 12-week program, the community was constantly shifting and it wasn't mm. really, it didn't really have that sense of community feel. So we did something that was like very out there so far as coaching practices are concerned. We said, once you've done your, graduated your 12 weeks, you actually unlock lifetime access to the program. It's fixed fee basically for that first part of the accelerator. And then after that, we don't restrict any access either. You get full unfettered access to things like the weekly coaching calls to our 
We've got several associate coaches that we allow to do turbo calls with. So they, they keep access to all of the features. And the vibe in the community, it's just as it's sort of grown slowly and scaled and we've got more clients coming in now, we've really got a great sort of sense of like community in, in the program, which I love. Yes, yeah, so we've got the 12-week accelerator side of things and clients get great results in there. Typically for a small business owner, they're very agile. So we can get a double or treble their income within about three to six months. There's, that's the bell curve. There are some which get it faster. There are always some which get it takes a little bit longer. It's just the way that it is. And I noticed as well that when clients graduate, so we have something in the UK called VAT threshold, which is where you start around about that six-figure sort of threshold. You then have to pay an extra level of tax. You might start to think about taking on your first employee when you hit 100K. The problems start to shift ever so slightly. So I also have like a one-to-one side to the coaching practice as well. So they have to have graduated grassroots single business owner, multiplied themselves into two people and hit that six-figure mark. And then we can start to sort of go a little bit deeper. And that's really fun because the problems change. So we're, we're now talking sort of HR and accounting problems. So, so people problems, their sales processes need to be systemized. So there's a lot more which happens as the business scales. I do like intensive days with the clients and things like that. I've got one client flying in from Germany for two days at the end of the month, you know, which I'm super excited about. He's excited about. We're going to cover a whole host of different topics with him. And he's going to go away with a completely different mindset around how he sees his business, which is really exciting. You start this process ultimately with goal setting. And you mentioned earlier, starting with like, what do you want in terms of income potential, but there's more to it than that, obviously, right? Yeah, 100%. Again, a lot of business owners, when they first start out, they have this great idea, right? All businesses are based on a really exciting and really great idea. And too many business owners, they think, oh, I'll just build the product, then people will come. It'll just work itself out, right? So this is in the very early stages. And um, you can imagine that's a bit like, I'm just going to get in my car and drive. And you could end up anywhere, especially in, right. in like the US. I mean, it's such a vast country. You could end East Coast or West Coast, any, anywhere in about a 3,000 mile span. It's just not terribly constructive, right? If you're traveling a distance, which is what you're doing in business, you need to set the sat-nav and you need to allow, you need to have that sort of reverse engineer that pathway to get to that end goal. A lot of business owners just, they don't they get in a car and they just kind of wing it. And then they like scratch their heads and go, well, I didn't mean to, I didn't want to get here. Like, how did I end up getting here? They end up with a whole load of problems and in a completely different place to where they anticipated they would get to. Again, it's much more fun if you can get to the end result and it's done by design. You mentioned earlier marketing. I mean, that you can sort of get yourself too into being a marketeer and not really focused on what you're trying to do, maybe more holistically. There is a lot of what you do that is focused on the sort of classic four P's of marketing, right? Yeah. There's been a, a big shift sort of more recently. So it's, it was very different back in 2004 when I was building that marketing agency. I mean, the internet was relatively still in its infancy. It was only sort of a, a, just over a decade old. And you think about it back then in 2004, you, you know, Facebook didn't exist. All these different social media platforms didn't exist. Yeah. YouTube was rubbish because basically people had dial up and they, they couldn't really stream videos in the same way that you can today. There were kind of foundation, like fundamentals to how you marketed your business existed like pre-internet. I always quote, there's a brilliant book by a guy called Gene, Eugene Schwartz called Breakthrough Advertising. It was written in 1967, I think it was, predates into the internet by a good sort of 25 years plus. He goes into this huge amount of detail about sort of how sophisticated the audience is that you're marketing to. We confuse ourselves these days because we've got access to this global marketplace, world domination at our fingertips that we can just blast stuff out and then automatically people want to buy it. It doesn't work like that because 
one, you've got to make sure that you're marketing in the right place. That's really important. You've got to make sure that your product connects with your audience. There's so many people that I see who are just blasting out their marketing message in just completely the wrong place. Nobody's ever going to buy it. And the product just isn't going to connect with the people. It's, it's not going to, it's just never going to sell to that audience. And yet they're still scratching their heads going, well, well, why is that? But it's just this basic like fundamentals around market sophistication, around understanding your client's biggest problems, first and foremost, and whether they're aware of those problems, whether they're aware of the various different solutions that they can actually buy in order to start to fix that, fix that problem. But even then, you've still got three more stages to get through before somebody's ready to buy because you've built enough trust with them. That's where you start to get into, well, are they even aware of your brand? You want If they picked five solutions, are you even on that shortlist? And then when they come in and sit with you for that first meeting, if you built up enough engagement you know, with them, with your brand around, and Google talk about this in terms of, I don't know if you've read it, zero moments of truth. It's a bit boring because it's bloody long, right? But equally, there's a lot of really good stuff in there. But they talk about 7-Eleven for before somebody buys a product or service, online especially, you've got to have engaged with them for seven hours across 11 different touch points and four different locations. Locations is easy because it's online, offline, traditional PR, media, printed stuff. Touch points could be a number of different ways. Let's put it in context, okay? So this might be the first time that somebody's come across Robin Waite. Thanks to JR inviting him onto the podcast. This is the first time I've been introduced to you. So one touch point, hopefully if they've listened to the, I'm engaging and they've listened to the whole episode, is it 30 or 40 minutes worth of engagement? The seven hours of engagement, when you start to break it down, is the hardest to tick off. We've got podcast touch point. We've got 40 hours, 30 minutes, 40 minutes of engagement. Now, one of the things I like to do is to try and, uh, sorry, shameless plug, but I like to give away copies of my book because I know that if somebody sits down and takes the time to read it, that's two or three hours worth of engagement across another touch point done. And I, so I have no bones in giving it away as a gift, even though there's a cost associated with that. Somebody might then go and join my Facebook group. They might jump into my email list. They might reach out to me and say, oh, Rob, that chat you had with Joe was really interesting. I'd love to know more. So they might jump up. So you can start to see I'm ticking yeah. off the engagement and the touch points and everything slowly, patiently. I'm not in that sales cycle of doom because I'm not desperate for clients. I need clients ultimately because I do have a living to earn as well. But I see 7114 as like deliver as much value as you can and then a client and the money comes as a, a byproduct of being able to change somebody's life with no expectation of anything in return. Like the money and the clients happens later, much later. Mm -hmm. This is where most business owners now, because of the internet and because of the fact that they see everybody else on social all the time, they think that's how they can get clients. They're very much in this short-term thinking, like scarcity mindset. I need a client, so I'll post on social and that'll get me a client tomorrow. Scratch head, oh, it's not working. So I'm, I'll do more of it. It doesn't really make sense. I think business owners, if they were just a little bit more patient, they were more thoughtful about how they actually marketed their business. What There's really cool ways to market your business that doesn't involve social. You just got to be a little bit more patient. Give examples of some of those, because I hear you talk about, like, if I'm a small business, I'm a solopreneur, sole proprietor. I'm not pricing something maybe at a, at a crazy level. I hear seven hours and 11 different times and four different places. I mean, it feels kind of daunting. Yeah, it is. But the best way to put this into context, Simon Sinek, his book, The Infinite Game, kind of talks about this. The book's more so about in terms of like corporate business and leadership, but there are still some fundamentals that we can learn as small business owners as well. A lot of people in the small business community see business as like, again, short term, it's, it's wins and losses. It's a yes or a no. It's very binary think thinking. 
they don't really consider the long-term consequences to that process of like winning and losing. What I mean by that is they're all about going out and winning sales. Let's go and get clients and leads and prospects and let's win sales. But going back to like what Simon Sinek talks about, he's like, think about sports. Yeah, that's designed. There are boundaries there and rules and that it's designed to have a winner or a loser in it. But the goal in business is to stay in business for as long as you possibly can. Not to win or lose, right? It's to stay in business. Not only that, for it to be a sustainable, profitable business. So the second goal in business is, is to have profit. And I think a lot of business owners forget this. They forget about the long game, the infinite game of wanting to stay in business and designing a business that can either operate without them, that could potentially be sold, or they find it fun to be involved in their business, right? There's so many miserable business owners out there, let's right. be fair, you know? Yeah. So let's at least have a business that gives us the freedom and flexibility to kind of step into it when we want to, but step out and have a bit of fun and spend some time with our family when we want to. We're talking a little bit earlier about the four Ps. One of the things you mentioned earlier that I don't want to let sneak by is this element of dramatically increasing your pricing. I mean, it's probably contrarian thought for a lot of people to think, I'm struggling to get enough business as it is, and you want me to dramatically increase my pricing. But talk about how you think about that. So effectively, it's around how you articulate the value of it. So the value proposition. And again, most business owners get trapped selling what they do and not the results and outcomes of what the client gets, basically, the results and outcomes the products deliver. The other thing as well to remember is that generally when things are more expensive, you actually get a better quality of client. The third point on this as well is around like when you're just selling things too cheaply, commoditized to try and attract people into your business. I don't know about you, but like if you walk into a supermarket Heinz have got a two-for-one deal on baked beans. It's not the baked beans which drew you into the supermarket in the first place. It's not that cheap offer, right? Because you probably were in the supermarket in the first place to go and buy your bread and milk, like your essentials. And you walked past the beans aisle and you were like, oh, they got an offer on beans. I'll buy a couple of tins, right? Supermarkets and big businesses have this thing called latent demand. And because they've got this audience already in their shops, but small business owners don't have this. They're constantly trying to stimulate that latent demand to get people through. Think that they typically tend to think that through offering discounts and being cheap is the thing which is going to attract people into buy. But that's not what people are buying. Like I said, we come back to the results and outcomes, how they're going to feel once they've bought the product and got the result, which you're actually delivering to them. An example of this would be, and about knowing your value is there's lots of coaches out there who will charge 100, 200 bucks now, right, to have coaching with them. I was fortunate enough to work with a, a very competent divorce coach. She worked with high net worth individuals. And what was interesting was when we started to look at how she was pricing herself and she was charging sort of $200 a session to the clients she worked with. And it was, it was actually a mismatch between her clients are worth like net worth, like eight figures, nine figures, like serious right. wealth. And if they got divorced, it was going to cost them a significant amount of money, which was still out of kilter with 200 bucks an hour. It was really fascinating because on the one hand, she was actually a qualified divorce lawyer, but she didn't like that side of it because she retrained as a coach so she could help people stay together, not facilitate them moving apart. So she had both sides of the wheel sort of nailed. And what we did initially was when we started to look at the size of the clients that she was working with and their net worth, we came to the conclusion that actually, well, the average divorce that she was helping her clients through previously cost in the order of two and a half million dollars to both parties in legal fees and splitting up the assets and all the various taxes that are associated there and various things. We decided that what would be a fair and reasonable amount for her to charge if she could keep them together as a coach. And we felt 10% was fair. And so she went out 
she had far fewer clients, but when they said yes, they were saying yes to a 250K coaching program because they stayed together, then it saved them significant sums of money. And for her, her goals was a seven-figure coaching practice. So four clients a year is all she needed and she'd work intensely with her clients. Now, if you start to ratchet that back and put it in context of like, is, are we putting our, are we promoting our products in the right place? Some of the other four Ps. If she promoted that 250K coaching package to a newlywed couple, a tenth of the price, 25K, well, they wouldn't buy it. They've got no need to buy it. They don't have a problem yet. They've not been married long enough for all of those problems to start to arise and to be even thinking about divorce. So even a tenth of the price, it means that it just was incongruent. And you could do it again. You could go down another two and a half thousand dollars and you have a single guy in his 20s. Well, he's not going to buy that package either because he's not even married yet. He's not even got a partner or he's he's just out having fun with his boys, right? The value is like that value proposition and how you articulate it is a really important part in the process of productizing a service. You flashed your book up a few minutes ago. I don't don't want to let time go by without giving you a chance to talk about it. it. It's sort of a fable, if you will, that explains the sort of way that you think about some of these things. You want to describe it? Yeah. So when I decided, right, I'm a business coach now. So this is after selling the agency. Initially, my I was just going to focus on web design companies because that's what I'd known best. So I put on this webinar and I had 50 web design agencies on there. And afterwards, I got a phone rang about literally five minutes after I'd hung up the call, the Zoom. This really excited guy on the phone said, hey, Rob, this is brilliant. I loved your webinar. You know, I'd really love for us to work together. And I said, oh, cool. Tell me about your business. And he went, I'm a golf pro. Hold on a second. How did you get onto my webinar for web designers, right? Yeah. Anyway, Rust and I ended up working together, me and this golf pro. He became one of my first official business coaching clients. I won't do a complete spoiler alert on, but basically it's based on a, a story of his journey from when we met through to the point where he productized his service. He dramatically increased his prices. How it's told as a story, Russ goes and meets this business coach at the golf course. They exchange services and he gets coached through the process. Um, essentially my process. There's five kind of core principles which I go through in the book through that that sort of story of Russ and David working together around sort of, you mentioned one of them earlier on, the goal setting side of things, how important that is, the productization process, increasing your prices, how you then go about selling it and customer lifetime value. So they're like five really simple, but key principles that business owners need to understand. There is a, by page 76, there is a bit of artistic license in there. Cause by, when I wrote the book way back when Russ hadn't got to that point where he was starting to travel and speak and all of those sorts of things. But, um, right. He has since gone on, actually, since I published it, gone on to do a few of those things as well, which is quite exciting. And he ran his first retreat as well shortly after lockdown. So, yeah, it's, it's good fun. I enjoyed writing the book. And actually, it's, I love giving it away because one of the things which is really key to me is around like people should have access to like good quality business advice and they shouldn't have to pay through. I know I'm the pricing guy, but they shouldn't have to, as a starting point, pay through the nose for that. The best reviews I get from the book is when somebody writes, I read your book, I implement it, and I managed to double my prices. I'm like, brilliant, job done. And the nice thing is at that point, they don't need me, but they might choose to come and work with me because I've already helped them sort of transform their business and hopefully their life at that point. Yeah. How's your reaction? How's it helped your business? Great question. So I can give you some statistics on this. For every hundred books I ship, I literally, I sign it, I pack it, I print a postage label out, I go down to see Pauline at the post office. I do all of that personally because it means a lot to me to do that. But for every 100 books I ship, I generally, it produces 1.8 clients on average. It was really interesting. So I did a, an interview with, as a, a popular YouTuber called Ali Abdal. I don't know if you've come across him, but 
I did an interview with him and originally I, I took the, I mean, he's got a ridiculous following. He's got 5 million subscribers, right? And I knew it's going to be, I was going to be, be big when I got invited to do that. But I took 15 copies of the book down to London with me and I got me and Ali signed those 15 copies. And the idea was we were going to give away the 15 as like a prize for the first 15 people who applied for it. That interview had 175,000 views. Within the first, I think, 60 days, I think I signed and personally signed and shipped 600 copies of the book. It generated, I don't know, 1,300 leads. In total, it's produced somewhere in the order of about 130,000. In fact, I just had another client sign up from it. So probably £135,000 worth of revenue just off the back of that one interview. It's transformed my view on how to market a small business. How so? It's more so around like the short-term thinking I kind of alluded to earlier on about the getting clients one by one by one by one. I had fallen into that trap, I'll be honest, from coming out of my marketing agency to starting up the coaching practice. And it's remarkable sometimes it takes you 19 years in business to learn a really valuable lesson. I did that podcast and it was easy. It was effortless. I got trained down to London with two and a half hours to record the episode, I got trained back. And then all of a sudden I got this flood of inbound leads. And it made me realize the power of influence, the power of partnerships, and also having assets, marketing assets that you can deliver to people as well. Had I not had the book, I wouldn't have had something valuable for those people to want to reach out and connect with me, for example. They wouldn't have been able to request a book if the book didn't exist. First of all, having a little suite of marketing assets at your disposal is massively important. But it made me realize that the one by one by one approach to marketing, which most business and 99% of business owners do, is Mm -hmm. completely flawed, right? Imagine if you had, JR, a challenge set whereby this time next Friday, you've got to get 100 clients, Yeah, right? Or your daughter's favorite cat dies, right? So we put a bit of jeopardy in there just to make it really difficult. Mm. When you have to answer that, not where's my next client coming from? Oh, I'll do a bit of social media posting. Where are my next 100 clients coming from? You're like, ah, social media is not going to deliver that. Even ads at scale with a massive investment probably isn't going to deliver that. You have to really think hard about what you would do, essentially. And that's where like having partnerships with people who already share your audience, so there's some kind of overlap, where you immediately break through the trust barriers because I could stand here and go, oh, look at me, I'm amazing, look at all the great things that I've done. Whereas actually, appearing on somebody else's podcast, especially the likes of Ali Abdul, who's already got a very loyal audience, and Ali's there going, Robin's brilliant. Robin's got this great book. Robin's doing all of these amazing things. So there's immediate trust built through that. And it really cuts through a lot faster. That was a a massive lesson, which I wish I'd learned probably about 15 years ago to focus more so on partnerships and building your influence and and then sort of leveraging basically other people's audiences. I'm not going to do any marketing this year, JR. Great if I can show up and do interviews like this and things like that. And I see this more as like that partnership level because hope I'll get to know your business a little bit better as well through us meeting now. But I'm not going to be doing any social media. I'm not going to be doing any posting or anything like that because I have to. I might do it because it's fun and I want to. I enjoy doing that sort of stuff. But my goal this year is can I get two or three more interviews under my belt to that sort of level of a valley as well as building up other partnerships sort of around yeah. that and building that sphere of influence. It, on it, The impact has just been ridiculous. Yeah, I can't promise you 5 million followers or <laughs> 175,000 views. But I think the point you're getting at, and it kind of goes back to the very beginning of our conversation where you talked about thinking about hours, right? Billing out on an hourly basis, right? I mean, the amount of time that you have as a solopreneur is finite, no matter how hard you want to work, it is finite. 
And I think a lot of small business owners, to your point, they think very linearly, right? They aren't thinking about like, how do I build something that's massively scalable? And the difference between doing one-on-one coaching with somebody and running an online course that theoretically has infinite potential, right? In terms of how many people could log in and take that course. If you start thinking about ways to monetize your product offering in more scalable ways, in more scalable fashions, then it just kind of completely changes the dynamic for you, right? And it's a little bit kind of opposite of your divorce lawyer, divorce counselor example, where for $250,000 clients gives her the business that she wants. This is, it's kind of going in the other direction of saying like, how do I take something rather than I deliver it one by one, I deliver it to a mass audience at a time, whether it's my audience or somebody else's audience. And it, I think you can make either of those models work, right? It's a little yeah. bit like the old marketing adage of sort of a mass market product versus a boutique high-end luxury sort of product. And I think the challenge for a lot of businesses, they get caught in the middle and they aren't really sure which way they want to go. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it's what I call business by design. You get to choose like how involved you want to be in your business, what hours you want to work, how much freedom you want to want from that business, how much does it actually fulfill you? So you get to design all of those things. That's the beauty of when you productize it. Even the divorce lawyer's packages are productized. So it's with her, it's about a six month coaching program and she sees her clients fortnightly. So You could always wind it back to an effective hourly rate, but it's much more about the results and outcomes at that point. Can we get you back to a place where you're happy with each other so that you're not in that where you're at each other's sort of throats in six months? And it's based on that result. And one of the things which I've noticed about my own business, hopefully this is helpful to share. I've noticed with my business, I kind of have to create a problem first before I then find an optimal solution out of it or systemize or or build a process around it. Here's a little secret. When that interview went live and I've got all that action going on, you know, leads and things like that, that time I'm still doing one-to-one sales calls with clients, but it did get to a point by December where it's literally, I'm doing like 15 of these calls a week on top of my other coaching responsibilities, my other businesses, where it was like, this is too much. This is like, this is, if I do this for much longer, I'm probably going to hit burnout. I love doing it. That's the problem. I absolutely love having those interactions with people. My ego kind of kept me trapped in that for a little while, but now we've kind of got through into this new year. I'm kind of now trialing doing sort of group workshops instead. But they're buying a group accelerator. Why should I not be selling as a group call? Having that challenge has forced me to build a better system or process or, or way of working. I think a lot of business owners try and systemize stuff too soon before they've identified all of the problems, pain points, and challenges they're actually experiencing within their business. And sometimes you've got to have your back against the wall to think really creatively about how to yeah. solve a problem. In some ways, this notion of you're having your back against the wall, it's it's a bit like the the lean startup and thinking about like, what's my minimum valuable product, minimum viable product, and how do you sort of... I have a friend, Danny Warsha, who teaches entrepreneurship. And one of his key things is that an abundance of resources sometimes works against you when you're short on resources, which is kind of like having your back against the wall. You have to figure it out. You're back to like your challenge thing of how do you find a hundred clients in a week? Yeah. You know, or your daughter's cat dies, which is awful. But it's it's just thinking about it in that context of how do you work with what you've got and make as much out of it as possible without killing yourself in the process. Hundred percent. And I would say a lot a lot of business owners, they again try and do too much on their own. And I think I was probably getting into a bit of complacency and a bit guilty of doing that towards the end of last year. 
The thing is, right, I think a lot of people assume that coaches and mentors and business experts and leaders have to have everything like perfectly together yeah. and like be infallible. And like the reality is, no, we still have the same problems and challenges that any other business owner experiences. Yeah. We're still human. Yeah. So I'm always very open about like when things go wrong in my business, I'll share it. doesn't matter what that issue is, because I believe that then everybody can learn from it. But there's a great author called Matthew Said who wrote a, bo a book called Black Box Thinking. There's a story in there which he tells about the NHS, so our National Health Service here in the UK, an operation which went wrong. And sadly, the, the wife didn't make it, and that, but the husband fought tooth and nail to make sure that they investigated this. And they discovered that the thing that the surgeon was most fearful of was the fact that he might lose his job if he fessed up to what happened. These two complications went wrong in the operation and he was worried about his own job. So the husband basically said, listen, I'll get my lawyer, we'll work together and we'll protect your job, but please share what you found, like what happened. Because my fear is that this will happen 10 or 20 times in the future. Eventually they figure it out. And sure enough, in the following 12 months after this investigation, the same two complications happened 20 times and they were able to prevent deaths from happening afterwards. And I think business leaders need to be, rather than going onto like social and talking about how great everything is and how amazing their life is and how, you know, all things are wonderful, they should spend more time going on there, telling and being honest with everybody about all of the problems and challenges which they're facing in their business yeah. so that others can learn from it. I also think they would probably get a lot more trust and respect from the people that are following them yeah. if they were more honest about that. I mean, there's certainly a, a strong sense of community and support, I think, that exists in many places out there. I know we're kind of up against time. Any parting thoughts you want to leave us with? My whole thing about fearless is a lot of people mistake it for being reckless. But the idea is that there are things that are stopping business owners that if they just feared them ever so slightly less, they stand a better, do the thing which they're slightly afraid of. They stand a better chance of achieving their goals. Something as simple as putting your prices up and not just by a little bit, let's stretch it a little bit and maybe double them. Go, start to find creative ways to go and ask for what you want. If you know that there's an influencer in your sphere who shares your audience and you want to set up a partnership with them, go and get in the room with them. Go and have a selfie with them. Hand over your book if you have one and ask them, hey, listen, I would love to work with you. Because it's those little opportunities that we often walk away from because of a little bit of fear. Whereas if we leaned into it, it can be absolutely like game changing. Very well said. Thanks for doing this today. I know we were a little short on time. We'll have to maybe do a follow-up at some point sometime soon. Yeah, I'd love to. Absolutely. Yeah. Stay in touch. And it was good catching up with you today. Awesome. Thank you, Joe. All right. Thank you, Robin. I'd like to thank Robin for joining me today to discuss his work as a business coach the book that he wrote in support of it called Take Your Shot, and a little bit about his own career and what's made him successful. If you'd like to make the most of your career, visit pathwise.io and become a member. Basic membership is free. You can also sign up on the website for the Pathwise newsletter and follow us on LinkedIn, Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok. Thanks. Have a great day. Thank you for listening to Career Sessions, Career Lessons. We hope the nuggets of wisdom shared today help guide your path to the successful career of your dreams. This podcast series is part of Pathwise.io, which is here to help you live the career you want. We provide a comprehensive mix of career and professional development events, insights, tools, and exercises backed by a group of leading coaches and other career management experts. If you aspire to something more or just something different in your career, join us at pathwise.io. You can find us on LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter. See you again on the next episode.